Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. So I've been away from the podcast uh, for a little while now. It's uh, been the summer holidays, and like the rest of you, I've been on holiday. Uh, I've also been doing uh, quite a bit of travelling for work um, a UN workshop, some training, uh, some project connections, etc. has uh, involved uh, far more air miles than I'm entirely comfortable with. Um, and, uh, and this is my first day back in my office for quite a long time. And if uh, this is you coming back from your summer holidays, then you're probably going to identify with that feeling of... Uh, what do I start with? And that sense of being completely overwhelmed by your inbox and all of the urgent things that you know you probably should be doing, but you're not quite sure what they are because there's so many of them. And actually, there's this huge sense of demotivation. And you know what? I'll make myself another cup of tea and um, and I'll kind of distract myself with something and uh, and you put it off. And, uh, and actually, that first day back when you swore to yourself you were going to get through all your emails or whatever it was, ended up not being that productive. And now I feel even more pressure on day two. So I decided to, uh, this morning, do one of my motivational hacks from the productive researcher. Uh, and that's why I am here uh, recording a podcast this morning, because for me, this is something that connects to my identity and values as a researcher, uh, but more broadly as, as a person. Uh, and I'm doing that to start my day. Uh, despite the fact that I know there are lots of emails I should reply to and there's a costing on a project I should be getting to and all the rest of it. Because actually this is how I'm going to fill myself up with the inspiration, the motivation, the focus in terms of why I'm doing all of that stuff. So that I then get on to that stuff with, yeah, more limited time, but I do it efficiently and I enjoy it, hopefully. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> That's the theory. Uh, now, for those of you who've read the Productive Researcher, you'll understand a bit more of the theory behind this and some of the exercises that I do, uh, my identity pie charts, my timed pie chart, etc. Uh, go back to some of my previous podcast episodes if you want to find out more about that. But uh, for me, one of the most fascinating things that I've learned in the last few weeks of travelling uh, was uh, a piece of research that was sent to me by a colleague from University of Leeds, Rebecca Pianazek. Sorry if I just mispronounced your name. Um, so, uh, so Rebecca attended one of my trainings at Leeds based on the Productive Researcher book and said, huh, I study motivation uh, and, uh, and multiple goal theory. And this stuff resonates really clearly with this literature. Have you read it? Uh, and as it happened, I hadn't read that. Although I do suspect now having read it that maybe I did and I forgot uh, or there's some kind of subconscious thing going on because she's right, there is a, a massive... Uh, confluence of ideas here between this literature and the stuff that I've been talking about uh, that, that I found through my own experience uh, through researching and, uh, and doing the stuff behind the productive researcher. And uh, I found this incredibly useful because uh, having some actual rigorous academic theory behind this stuff actually clarifies and enables us to think even more deeply about how it is that we motivate ourselves and how we can hack those motivations to enable us to do the annoying tasks 
the projects that we kind of have that heart sink when we kind of get onto them, um, the the tasks we put off, and to do them in a way that actually is much more motivational for us, uh, or to have the power and the foresight and the courage to drop the things that are actually not important to us that we can drop where we have that uh, that privilege. And so uh, what I want to do in this episode is to talk through this idea of, of the multiple goal theory or goal hierarchy. Uh, and I think you're going to f- discover that this is incredibly fascinating stuff um, and hugely powerful. I'll try to give you some examples of how I'm applying it uh, and have applied it so that you can make this very practical. Uh, now, uh, for those of you who are actually psychologists, uh, like Rebecca and uh, and the colleagues that I'm working with on a project uh, linked to, to this theory, um, yeah, um, please take this with a bit of a pinch of salt and um, and tell me where you think I'm getting this wrong. Uh, this is uh, the notes that I took uh, on this paper by Kerry Onsworth et al. And uh, I'll uh, I'll give you the, the the link to this in the, in the show notes. Uh, and it's, of course, my interpretation as a non-expert. But you know what? This is what I love about being an interdisciplinarian. You get to discover all these cool new ideas and theories from different disciplines and try your best to understand them. Um, and, of course, it's then what comes out of that uh, uh, that, that that intersection between your own expertise and disciplinary ideas uh, that is interesting. So it may not be quite what uh, what Kerry uh, wrote uh, in the paper, but uh, hopefully it's close enough and I'm not completely misrepresenting this. So uh, what we've got here are seven principles of multiple goal pursuit. And it recognises, unlike a lot of the literature in this field, that in reality, we don't just have one goal. In reality, we are all pursuing multiple goals at any given time. And of course, that means that some of your goals might conflict, whether these are your own goals uh, or goals that you have versus your boss has or different bosses uh, or even within the same organisation, the same boss has two different things they want you to do, but they kind of conflict with one another. Uh, now, uh, in the project that, uh, that that we're designing at the moment, uh, the conflict we're looking at here is the uh, the conflict um, between research and impact. Now, that's not a conflict for everyone, but it's a common conflict people cite. Uh, well, I would do impact if I had some time, and actually, I didn't have the pressure to publish. Uh, and uh, and actually, yeah, we've got this double jeopardy now, where I have to publish and I have to do impact, or at least that's a perception. So, how do you resolve these kinds of uh, of goal conflicts? And uh, the the first couple of these are uh, thinking about how goals fit together in a hierarchy and how we can then use that thinking to uh, resolve goal conflicts. Uh, And then we'll have a think, uh, the other ones are all about prioritising goals. Once we've resolved the conflicts, right, well, I've still got too many goals, so what am I going to do now? Or what am I going to do when I've got not enough time? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through some of the notes that I made, because that's the best way to make sure that I don't completely misrepresent this. And it's the best way for you to get a shortcut to the paper without having to read the whole thing. And then you can dip in to that paper uh, as you wish. And then I'll reflect a little bit on, on each one. So the first of these principles is that goals exist in a hierarchy from long term, often abstract, and very many different values at the top of the hierarchy. So you have uh, values and those values are goals and they are at the very top of this hierarchy. Then linked to those values at the top of the hierarchy are multiple identities. 
And again, this is not just one thing. Well, I'm a researcher, yeah, but I'm also a husband and I'm a father. And yeah, I've got a, I'm a teacher as well, or I'm a mentor. Great, so you've got all these different identities. And those identities are nested under and dependent on and highly linked to the values that sit on top of them. Uh, and then beneath your identities, you've got what are described as project goals. Um, so these are kind of higher order than just task goals, which is what comes finally. Um, uh, and it's a collection of tasks that all fit together into a project. So that could be a research project. It could be the fact that I've got a podcast. That's a project. It's an initiative. It's something that I do that requires me to do lots of different things to make that thing happen. But I prioritise my podcast or this research project because I am a researcher or I am um, someone who wants to make a difference or uh, whatever it is, uh, which then is linked back to my values. And then the final one is tasks. And so I'm going to do the task of recording a podcast this morning. And there's a whole load of other things that come along with that later on. But this morning I'm doing this task because this is a project that is important to me because it links to this part of my identity, which in turn enables me to enact that important value. <clears throat> so values to identities to project goals to task goals. And the idea is that there are these patterns of activation uh, and you can have facilitative connections between goals and you can also have inhibitive uh, connections. So uh, what you need to do now is to kind of create a bit of a map and ask yourself, uh, are there particular tasks that you've got on your to-do list, which are orphan tasks, that do not connect clearly to any project? Uh, and uh, are there more likely, uh, most of your tasks will fit into some kind of project, uh, whole projects here which actually do not link to any part of your identity that you identify strongly with or to any value. Uh, and if so, then, then there's a problem. Uh, and we'll talk about that in, a more, uh, in more detail at the moment. Um, but also have a look at where there are really strong facilitative connections. Uh, and the strongest ones, arguably, are the ones that have that golden thread all the way through to values that you care about, important parts of your identity that you love being in. Uh, and yeah, and of course I'm doing that project. And of course that task is really important. And actually I'm really motivated by it, despite the fact that the day-to-day -day of that task might be a bit boring. Great. So... Uh, theorizing research, empirical research has shown that uh, goals can be cognitive, cognitively linked to each other between and within goal hierarchy levels, forming a connectionist architecture similar to a neural network. A connection between two goals is described as facilitative if achieving one goal uh, helps achieve another. And then this connection triggers goal activation. Thus, when a particular goal is activated, all other goals that are connected to that goal will then be activated as well. So understand and activate your values and your identity. And then whatever are your most important projects or task goals will automatically become activated and you'll want to do them. You'll become motivated, even if that task is a fairly boring um, uh, and what you might think uh, a, a fairly demotivating task. 
The second of these seven principles now is to think about resolving conflicts through goal alignment. And there are two ways you can do this, through merging or <coughs> nesting goals, or through identifying a lower order goal that satisfies all of the higher order goals. So let's get, look at this first one. Uh, and the first idea is that I'm going to align conflicting goals themselves through integrating goals into one compound goal or identifying a feasible lower order goal that satisfies all of the higher order goals. So, uh, for example, I might do the impact parts of a project that I'm not actually interested in the research. Uh, the research is really quite demotivating and, yeah, why am I bothering with this? I have no idea. What, how did I get into this project? I've got no idea. But you know what? Yeah, I have an identity as a researcher who makes a difference. Uh, and that is linked to a bunch of values around empathy or respect or altruism or I don't know. Uh, and so, great. So let's leave the research to someone who's actually interested in the research. And I'm going to focus as far as I can on the impact parts of this project. And great. It's, it's aligned now. Uh, the second approach is I'm going to nest conflicting goals by conceiving of one of these as a higher level goal. Uh, so in this case, I might integrate impact into the research and decide that I'm going to try and do some more applied research. Um, uh, and now this applied research, this kind of version of the research that I'm now conceptualising this at, well, you know what, yeah, that motivates me. I'm up for that. I can do research along those kinds of lines, and it's a small adaptation, and I can apply this in such a way that I can publish this in a different kind of a journal now, and in that applied journal, this kind of impact element to this is going to make this even more competitive, even more compelling to the reader, and great. Now I'm actually doing that research, and I can see why I'm bothering with that. Um, so third now, and this is kind of the, the final element to this, because we've got third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, they're all about prioritizing. But uh, what's fascinating about this is the very different ways you can go about prioritizing goals. So uh, I've hopefully had a think about how I'm going to resolve some of these conflicts. Um, but if you're not quite there yet, actually, for me, some of the prioritization strategies still help me um, resolve some of these conflicts at quite a deep level. So the, the first is I prioritize the goals that enable me to enact my identity and values. So I've got a choice now um, uh, uh, between this goal or that goal. Uh, and instead of uh, aligning my goals and keeping all of my goals, I'm now going to choose one goal and I'm actually going to drop the other goal. So this is a very different approach now to resolving a, a conflict of goals. I'm actually dropping uh, an important goal. And of course, uh, we can't do that with all of our goals. These may be goals that we're employed to achieve, uh, hence trying to align where, where possible. Uh, or alternatively, uh, it's saying, well, I've got a bit of flexibility and I'm going to choose to do this goal first. So we're prioritizing either uh, in time or just by actually dropping goals that are not important. And we'll have a think about the deprioritization process right at the end. But let's just think to start with about different ways in which to prioritize. This is the thing that's most important. Therefore, this is what I choose to do instead of that. Or this is what I choose to do first. So 
Uh, if I'm doing this now based on the hierarchy, I'm asking which of the tasks on my to-do list or projects that have a bunch of tasks associated with them uh, are most closely aligned to my identity and values. Uh, and uh, there are two ways of doing this. So multifinality uh, suggests, as this is a concept from the paper, uh, that the larger the number of higher order goals linked to a given task or project goal, the more likely it is that you're going to prioritize that or put effort into it. And then equifinality suggests, uh, alternatively, that the larger the number of lower order goals that can be facilitated by a higher order goal, so identity or value, the more likely you are to be committed to those higher order goals in terms of your values or identity. So in practical terms, you might want to think more about my identity uh, my values. Who am I? Uh, so I've got this kind of two or three things that I would instantly say, yeah, that's the kind of person I am. That's the kind of researcher I am. Can I explore that and think about that and break that down and subdivide that and realise that, yeah, there's, there's a richer reality here. I am more multifaceted uh, than I thought. And just really pin that down, which is for me why I do that uh, pie chart exercise. Gives you a bit more clarity, a bit more granularity to what might start out as maybe one, two or three identities. And now let's think about which values link to those identities. And I do it that way around usually because it's easier to think about identities than values because they're a lot more abstract. But but yeah, I'm a father. What is the, the value behind that? Why did I want to become a father? What are the things that I love most about being a father that, that, that link to my values, that enable me to enact values at that much deeper level? What is it about being a researcher for me that, that it links to values? Is this about freedom? Uh, is this about altruism? What is it that at that higher level? Great, so I've got a much greater sense now of uh, these multiple identities, these multiple values, and I understand exactly what they are and why they are important to me. Uh, and the idea now uh, is that, uh, that I'm now looking uh, to, to see how the projects and the tasks that I've got might enact all of that stuff. And now because I've done that thinking, I realise that, huh, actually, now I've realised that this is actually an important part of who I am linked to my values. That project fits into that. And that task, huh, fits into that. So uh, this idea of multifinality, uh, the more nuanced and granular my understanding of my identity and values, the easier it is to then just slot in all of the projects and task type goals that I've got and realise, ha, huh, it fits. I can do that for this reason. And that's why it's motivational. And now, great, let's get this thing done. Um, or the alternative approach to this is to, to think more about the connections kind of from the bottom up. So I'm going to leave my identity and my values as, well, here we are, one, two or three of each. Um, I'm not going to think about that much more, perhaps because I can't go any further than that. I've tried and I didn't get any further. That's just who I am. And yeah, let's just leave it at that. Uh, so now let's just think really hard and creatively and imaginatively about all of these different tasks that I've got. And I'm going to start with the ones that are least motivational, that have been sitting on my to-do list now for a year. 
uh, and ask myself creatively, how might these link to some of these identities and values and try and create those golden threads? Uh, and as I find that, I realize, ha, now that's why I'm going to do this next week. That's why I'm going to make a day for that next month, because you know what, that's important. And I'm booking that day out right now. And of course, you can do a bit of both. I think uh, that's probably the best way to go about this. Now, the, the second way of, uh, of doing this is uh, somewhat more hedonistic. Um, uh, and for that reason, quite attractive, let's, let's be honest here. Let's just prioritize the things that make us feel good. Uh, so uh, the, the idea here is uh, that I'm asking myself, what makes me feel positive? And the assumption here is that when I prioritize the things that make me feel positive, that on sub some on sub some subconscious level, I'm actually prioritizing things that link to those higher order goals that enact parts of my identity or enact my goals. Um, uh, great, but it could just be some other kind of highly desired state that, that I wish to to be in, and I can't articulate how that might feed through. So it's a very simple uh, thing to to do. Um, but what's useful about this is that once you uh, identify a goal that makes you feel positive, the higher up that chain you can go. Um, so at minimum, we're looking at kind of a project level goal here. Uh, then the more likely is it is that once I realize, yeah, I really want to do that because when I do that, I feel amazing. Then all of the lower order tasks linked to that instantly become imbued with that same sense of optimism, of anticipation of, ah, yes, I really want that thing to happen. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, for many researchers, I know um, it's that sense of, wow, uh, when I get that pattern emerging from my data, when I get that insight coming from, from my analysis, of qualitative texts, uh, that is a thing that motivates me, that, that, that makes me yeah, feel satiated in terms of my sense of curiosity. Uh, and that's part of my identity. I'm a curiosity-driven researcher, and that is what gives me this sense of academic freedom, that, uh, this freedom of, of ideas, that, that here we are and we are on the cutting edge of things that nobody have ever, has ever discovered before. Wow. And you know what? That is what then motivates me to do the number crunching, uh, the hours and hours of reading through and coding texts that is, pr frankly, pretty boring. <laughs> but actually, you know what? There is that sense of anticipating, uh, anticipation driving through all of that stuff because, you know what? I love the feeling of when those insights emerge. Uh, amazing. Um, so uh, the, the next way of prioritizing is that you uh, actually do this in a very different way. So this is almost the opposite. Uh, and I'm now going to prioritize important goals that I am currently most far away from achieving. Uh, and this is something that people do commonly. And if you're just going to look at yourself, um, you may well look through your to-do list and think, whew, that's a big, big thing. And I've got a couple of months, but oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure how I do that thing yet, but I've got to do it. Um, uh, I've not even started. Um, and I could spend today doing um, some stuff on some of the projects and goals that, uh, that are kind of uh, nearer to completion, uh, and they would be quite easy to do. But actually, there's this growing pressure of the longer I leave that big thing, 
uh, actually the closer the deadline comes and the more stressful it feels that I'm still nowhere near it. So you know what, it's two months away, but I'm prioritizing that now. And if nothing else, I'm working out how I do this and how big the task is. And I start making a project plan, a management plan, working out who I can delegate to or whatever it is. Uh, great. So this is the idea of goal performance discrepancy. Um, so uh, the difference between my current and desired state. And the research suggests that people typically prioritise goals that will reduce that discrepancy and the cognitive dissonance that arises from it. From it. And of course, the higher order the goal that you are far from, uh, the higher the likely cognitive dissonance. I know that I need to become this kind of researcher if I'm going to succeed, if I'm going to achieve those kind of goals. But I know that that is not the kind of researcher I am yet. How do I learn the skills? How do I get the experience that will enable me to be that kind of researcher? Uh, and actually, there's this really deep sense of nag that keeps going at you that, yeah, I need to go on that course. I need to try and write that paper or whatever it is. Uh, it's not one of those kind of urgent and important things on your to-do list. But you know what? I'm actually going to invest time in that because on a fundamental level, it takes me closer to the kind of person I need to be to actually now achieve everything else underneath those higher order goals. Uh, one final way of prioritizing, and then we'll look at the deprioritization process. So this is um, uh, the opposite of uh, trying to reduce goal discrepancy and to say, well, actually, I'm going to achieve the things that are the closest to me and the easiest to me instead. Uh, and typically what you see uh, over time as a deadline approaches is a swapping between these two strategies. So this is not an either or, uh, but it's a question of when do I go with reducing goal performance discrepancy? And when do I actually switch strategy now and prioritize the things that I actually can do before the, the deadline? And uh, a quote from the, the paper here, a goal's expectancy will affect its likelihood of prioritization depending on the expectancy of other goals. Uh, and what you see here is an inverse U relationship between effort and efficacy. So people typically don't put a lot of effort into goals that they don't think that they can achieve. If this is completely unachievable, I could never do that, then uh, yeah, zero effort. There's just no point in even starting. But equally, they also don't put a lot of effort into goals that they think are guaranteed to happen. Well, that's just, yeah, I can do that standing in my head. That's just going to happen. That'll be fine. Um, and uh, and then, oops, yeah, it's the night before. I haven't done it. Uh, and I've got a problem because I never actually prioritised it because I figured it would just happen. Uh, and we've probably both, uh, we've all been in both of those, uh, those situations. And so people typically put most effort into the goals that they perceive are achievable. Uh, and yet challenging. Uh, and over time now, what you see is that uh, as I am now far away from that deadline, I put my effort into reducing the goal performance discrepancy. I'm going to put my time into the thing that I am furthest away from. I've got time to work on this and I'm going to put effort into this and I'm going to do this ahead of time. Brilliant. Uh, but uh, if it turns out that, you know what, actually, this was never going to happen. And uh, and I can see now that the goal is approaching and I've only just taken the first baby steps towards this. Then, okay, 
the the big goal, what I was trying fundamentally to achieve, maybe I have to abandon that for our next research project and we write this in the further research section. Uh, but we've still got a matter of months left on this now and you know what, let's make sure we prioritise some of these easier to achieve things and we get those done so we've got something to show for this. And I switch now from the thing that was the ultimate goal, that long-term, wow, if we could achieve that, to, well, maybe later. <laughs> uh, but now the deadline is coming, our project's coming to an end, let's prioritise these closer, uh, easier, more achievable things. Um, and I think the trick here is, um, is is knowing when to when to switch, knowing when to give up. And uh, look a few episodes back, and I'll um, talk about uh, dealing with failure. And, and for me, just knowing when you've bitten off more than you can chew, and having the humility and the courage to say, you know what, it's not going to happen. I can't actually do this, and I admit defeat. Uh, and now I snatch something out of the jaws of defeat that actually looks like success when I reframe this. Uh, and uh, and of course, if you doggedly pursue that thing to the end, you've got nothing to show for this. Uh, but equally, if I only prioritise the easy things, then I have no chance of ever achieving that much bigger goal. Uh, so that is the magic, that is the, the, the judgement uh, that, that you have to make. And then finally, let's have a think about, well, how do I deprioritize? Uh, so uh, this is a luxury for some of us. Uh, not all, all of us have goals that demotivate us that we can, in fact, drop. Uh, but uh, this is now the, the concept of goal shielding. And it's worth having a think about just how much we might be able to deprioritize. And for me, when I work with people on this, whether it's in trainings that I do around the productive research, of course, or one-to-one uh, -one mentoring that I do with colleagues in, in Newcastle, I, I find that people come into this saying, well, yeah, I just, this is my lot. There's nothing I can do about this. And they come out realizing that there's a lot more that they could do than they think. Um, and so the, the idea here is that when you prioritise any goal, uh, you are likely to automatically reprioritize other goals, simply because there is limited time in the day and uh, you're going to have to uh, put something else on hold now that you've decided you're putting a day next month towards that task or tomorrow you're starting on that important thing. Um, and, uh, and of course, if you don't, then you're constantly distracted by those competing goals. So yeah, I've made a priority here. I've decided that this is something I'm going to do tomorrow and I'm spending at least half the day on this and, uh, and I've reprioritized those other things. I'll do them the next day. I'll do them next week so that they don't constantly keep jabbing in at my consciousness and saying, do me, do me, uh, uh, and distracting me. And of course, then you become much more focused because you've prioritised what's most important. You've got that rationale. Uh, and despite the fact that that other thing seems urgent or someone else wants you to do it right now, uh, you are selling yourself. Yeah, I have made the decision that it doesn't matter. An extra day will not matter on this. And I focus today on this. And this is why. And actually, this is why it's deeply important to me. And yeah, I will get to it tomorrow. But I'm doing this right now. Now, there's a problem with this, though. 
uh, which is that if what you are deprioritizing is a higher order goal, so uh, actually I'm deprioritizing a part of my identity or one of my values, then you have to recognize that if there are a whole load of facilitative connections to project goals and task goals underneath those things, then actually those things are going to pretty much automatically, without you even thinking about it, suddenly drop. And huh, I never thought again about that entire project. Yeah, I, I used to write a blog and it's been a year and I haven't done it. Why? Why? What? what how did that happen? Uh, and that is most people's experience. When, when you change something at that high level, the other stuff just drops because it's not, it's not important. Why would I be doing something like that? A person like me doing something like that? Uh, or given my values and given what how that would take me away from them, yeah, it just doesn't even enter my mind to pick up whatever that thing was that I've just suddenly dropped. And so it's important to actually think about this and actually map this out and work out, now, uh, if I drop this higher order goal, what might be some of the projects or tasks that, uh, that I might suddenly drop the ball on? Um, and uh, can I now uh, reprioritize these in my team, give them to someone else, uh, or come up with some other strategy if it turns out that it would be a big deal to my employer or to my team if I actually drop the ball on all this stuff? Uh, so beware of that. And I think on a personal level, it's worth thinking about, well, you know what, if I'm doing this thinking now at the level of my values, then there could be an entire part of my identity that ends up getting lost in this process, that I forget who that part of me was. Now, generally, if we've done that thinking, we're happy with the values we're now prioritizing. Uh, we're very happy with the new identity that we uh, that we adopt that no longer contains this part that was problematic. And usually, uh, a year later, you look back and you feel quite embarrassed about some of the things you did out of that part of your identity and how proud you were about, yeah, that? Seriously? <laughs> so, um, so, so have a think about this, because you may or may not be happy with, with this. And the reason you're going to want to think about this is that very often if you do that higher order thinking and work out, well, actually now I can see in a much more granular way, these are all my different multiple identities. These are all my multiple values that are important to me. You discover that some very important values may in fact be um, conflicting um, uh, or can they trade off against uh, against each other. Um, so let me give you uh, uh, an example of this with my take-home messages. Um, so we're coming towards the end and I'm going to give you three things that I'd like to suggest that you might do uh, as a result of this. So um, the first is that there is a task or a project that I'm struggling with and um, and I can't get out of it. So my suggestion here is that I look at my identity and my values to find one thing at that level that I can anchor those projects or tasks in. Uh, and as a result, it becomes very easy to prioritize it and, and very motivational. So for example, I want to stay fit. Um, actually, what part of my identity does that fit into or what values does that enact? Uh, and that might seem a strange question to, to ask, but if you can answer that instantly, now this staying fit thing is no longer a chore, it just is something that happens without even thinking about it. So uh, with my two youngest kids, they're uh, more sedentary than uh, me and my wife think might be healthy for them. 
Uh, and we've been talking about our identity as a sporty family and how great it is that we're such a sporty family and we enjoy all these fun sports and, at, uh, and activities. Uh, and uh, then just kind of subtly uh, linking this um, on an ongoing basis to the value of uh, self-respect, uh, that we respect ourselves, we respect our bodies. I mean, that's just part of life. That's why you brush your teeth and all those kind of things. And if I do that, then, of course, I look after my health. And, uh, and, and that then feeds this identity of, well, yeah, I'm sporty, we're fit, we're healthy as a family. And that's actually part of my identity. I'm a healthy fit, strong, active person. And so, of course, when there's an opportunity to run rather than walk, well, let's just run. Uh, to walk rather than take the bus, well, yeah, of course, to take the stairs rather than, rather than the escalators, that's the kind of person I am, and I do that without thinking. Uh, so uh, that's perhaps a more uh, personal uh, example of this, but thinking of this now in a, a more academic way, I might think uh, about uh, the, my identity as someone who makes the world uh, a better place. And that is linked to some values around empathy or respect uh, or that kind of thing. Uh, and now I'm doing that research project or that part of the project that does motivate me because I found a way to link that bit of research now to my identity as someone who makes a difference. Yeah, there's the theory and there are the methods and perhaps I'm not so motivated by them, but you know what, I do that properly because when I get that right, I do rigorous research that makes a difference. And now, ultimately, that's the payoff. That's the thing that motivates me. Uh, or alternatively, let's go with uh, those of us who are more motivated by curiosity. Uh, and now I'm activating that part of my identity that says, I'm intelligent, I'm inventive, I'm curious, that's part of who I am. I've, I've always been like that, that's, that's me. Uh, and perhaps then that links to some values around freedom, so academic freedom, for example, or community, say academic community, disciplinary communities. Uh, and now... That's a bit of the project that is really not motivating me. Uh, so the impact, perhaps, yeah, I've got to do this to get the funding. And I've got to do this now um, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, uh, and yeah, the whole impact stuff, it doesn't, it bores me, frankly. Uh, it's not interesting. It doesn't motivate me at all. But actually, now when I activate that part of myself that says, I'm inventive, I'm curious, I'm intelligent, I'm going to come up with a, a really clever way of solving this problem. I'm going to think of some really inventive solutions. Uh, and I'm going to uh, ask myself how answering these questions might actually answer questions that people out there have got that uh, actually fascinate me more than ever before and make me go deeper than ever before into my, uh, my project, uh, my research. And yeah, I'm now doing impact and I'm actually motivated by this stuff. Uh, and the great thing about this is that now as a result, the things that were demotivating us, that were the cause of our procrastination now are things that we're quite focused about uh, and, uh, and, and we actually do. Uh, now, the second take home from this goal hierarchy is that we need to identify these goal trade-offs 
as I was just speaking about in that final principle. Uh, and we need to identify gold trade-offs in particular at those higher order levels, so at the level of my identity or my values that might be driving projects or tasks that are in fact self-defeating or that cause cognitive dissonance or stress uh, or that are kind of cancelling each other out. Uh, but at the same time, we need to be aware that if, as a result of that thinking about those trade-offs, I decide to abandon a higher level goal, then there could be a cascade effect to all of the nested goals underneath it that I'm then perhaps likely to uh, forget about. Uh, uh, and inadvertently, completely just forget. I just never went back there and I didn't do it again. And actually, you know what, maybe that is uh, an issue. Uh, so. Uh, if I think about this uh, in perhaps a more personal uh, level now, then um, I'm thinking about the, the trade-off between uh, a set of values that I have around respect and justice that are perhaps trading off around uh, a set of values around tolerance and community. So ever since I was a kid, I went to uh, this particular community group project thing uh, in my local community. Um, and, uh, and so that's a part of my identity. I'm part of this community. Uh, and increasingly, I've kind of moved on from these people and I have very different values from them. But I can still enact my value of tolerance because I go along and I tolerate the really horrendous views that these people have and some of the quite frankly horrendous things that they do that are maybe just kind of on the margins of, but I'm tacitly agreeing with and condoning because I'm not willing to actually stand up and say, you know what, that is actually really disrespectful. You know what, these are the poor, the dispossessed, the voiceless, the hungry, and you're actually making things worse for them. And actually, yeah, my values around respect and my values uh, around uh, empathy, perhaps, uh, are, are now being really challenged. And actually, the longer this goes on, the more cognitive dissonance there is, the longer I try and hold on to values that, uh, that are uh, competing against each other. Uh, and so I find a way of integrating, of aligning those goals, uh, as we suggested earlier on that says, well, I'm going to now do this new project with these guys, and I'm going to lead on this project. And now from within this community, we might maybe change some of these more bigoted views. Uh, and from within, actually, now as a result of this now soup kitchen, perhaps, uh, or a new food bank, or whatever it is, uh, we're putting these people in touch with the immigrants in our community, or whoever it is that was the other. And uh, and actually, I'm still part of that group, uh, and, I've, uh, and I'm actually enacting those values. Uh, or perhaps I decide, you know what, I don't need to put myself through this and I leave. Uh, and I do that as kindly as possible and I stay in touch with people. Uh, and, uh, and yet now I don't have that dissonance. And now let's use that time to do something that enacts those other priorities. But actually what I'm doing by doing this is I'm saying, well, you know what, maybe I'm just having to accept that I'm not as tolerant a person as I thought I was. Uh, and you know what? Yeah, there are certain people who have certain views that I find abhorrent. Uh, and here's the evidence for the terrible things that happen when you have a view like that. And actually, uh, there is a certain line that you cross where I'm not tolerant when you start expressing views like that and behaving in ways like that 
to other people that you dislike or you, who you think are less intelligent than you or less worthy of value than you. And now, yeah, I'm going to stand up and uh, have that self-respect and that respect for others and that sense of justice. And I'm going to enact those values. And perhaps that's actually the kind of person I am. And if that is the case, then ask yourself, what happens when you deprioritize a part of your identity that said, I was a tolerant person? Actually, you know what? I'm not that tolerant, if I'm honest, uh, but I'm someone who fights for justice and, and respect. Well, what are the things then that also might disappear underneath that, the, the project goals, the tasks linked to your identity as a tolerant person, uh, and map them out before you go to that place? Uh, and think about goal and not alignment, perhaps, as an alternative. Of course, the, the choice is yours. Uh, and my take-home here is to do something. Do something now, I would suggest, or make a plan right now for what you're going to do tomorrow, but do something in the short term that is part of a project or an initiative. So, uh, for me, it could be a research project. It could be, for example, this morning, uh, my podcast that links directly to one important part of your identity and one important value to you in a really powerful way. And do that task next. Uh, do something on that project tomorrow and see how that feeds back to your motivation and en enables you to be more focused, enables you to procrastinate less and see how it fills you up with enough inspiration and motivation to actually get the boring and annoying things done efficiently and start to feel really happy about everything that you do in your job.